And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special Gaiden edition of Earth Destruction Directive. I, as always, am your host, Mr. Luke Giaconetti, and I am joined tonight by my very good friend and fellow Dai Kaiju enthusiast, Mr. Bill Lomax. Say hello, Bill. Hey, everybody. How you doing? And tonight we are going to be talking about what is undoubtedly the biggest event in Dai, the Daikaiju genre for the year of 2013, and that is the release of the long-anticipated film by Guillermo del Toro, Pacific Rim. Yay! Oh, yeah, it's been too long since we had a, uh, an, a legitimate Daikaiju movie in theaters in the United States. I would oh. say probably going back to 2001 when Godzilla 2000 was released. Well, even in Japan, too. I mean, they haven't made a Godzilla film since Final Wars, which was 2004. And then there was uh, that Gamera film, was the Gamera the Brave in 2006. Yep. And I guess, technically, I guess you can call the Korean film The Host. Right. And that came out, I think, oh nine. But, I mean, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, the closest we've had is, is Cloverfield, and, and I do not like Cloverfield. <laughs> yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen that yet. I've heard, heard uh, iffy things about it, but... But if uh, you were anywhere near the internet for the last, oh, I'd say six months, you've probably heard about Pacific Rim, uh, Del Toro's love letter to the super robot genre and the daikaiju genre, which features, unsurprisingly, super robots fighting daikaiju. Uh, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> All right, so this is going to be just, like I said, this is a, uh, a Gaiden episode, and those of you who may not be familiar with that, that is Japanese for side story, often a uh, little... A special put out in teasing of a movie or perhaps in between two movies. So this is just going to be a real quick episode. Uh, Mr. Lomax and I are going to give our, our impressions, some quick thoughts, some quick reviews on Pacific Rim, and then we're going to, we're going to, you know, cut it off so you have time to go out and go see the movie. So, uh, Bill, why don't you take it away? Give you about, uh, five to seven minutes. What did you think of Pacific Rim? Oh, um, I, I, I think it's no surprise. Uh, I love the film. Um, I enjoyed it. I went opening day. And, uh, it's funny because, uh, I had an experience very similar to, uh, when you went to go see Godzilla 2000. Uh, I went to my, uh, local theater here in Wolfstare and, uh, paid my, uh, matinee price, my 550, sat down in my seat, had a hot dog, um, bought some pretzels, I got, you know, for lunch, was real happy to see it. And, uh, the projector didn't work. Oh. Yeah. So I sat there for about another half hour. And uh, while I was sitting there, I had the three most obnoxious people behind me, <laughs> these three guys, just talking. And all I was thinking of was you sitting in that theater and that guy going, Dad, <laughs> like the whole time. It was the same thing. These guys were just telling awful, awful, awful jokes. Mm. I mean, really bad. These are some of the worst jokes I have ever heard. I was this close to causing an incident, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to deal with this. So I ended up leaving the theater driving all the way to Scranton past the uh, Dunmer Miffler building, mm. and uh, I went to the theater there. It's a little out of the way, but 
damn it, I was going to see this movie on my day off, so I went and uh, it turned out it was the uh, first movie I saw in 3D. So uh, I actually paid the extra money to see it in 3D, and uh, again, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, the whole cast, it's pretty much all my favorite actors from cable television. <laughs> you had you had Jax and uh, Sam Crow from Sons of Anarchy, and Charlie from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia were all there, but... No, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. You know, when I sat down and, uh, I mean, right off the bat when we had the first fight between, uh, Gypsy Danger and, uh, Knifehead, I was, I was sold. And, and one of the things that I liked, it had a very Showa feel to it, um, very, uh, you know, Showa air, because, uh, it was all like tooth and claw and not, not really, there wasn't really any beam weapons. Uh, I mean, I guess the only projectiles would be, uh, the, uh, acid from, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Otachi. I think was the yeah, monster's it was name. Otachi. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I was in. Uh, I, I the CGI looked great. Um, and one of the things I like, uh, I mean, one of the complaints about uh, Cloverfield was it was all shaky cam, you know, everything. And this was all nice, steady shots. Everything looked good. Um, and I mean, it was just just great, like rock'em sock'em. And one of the things that I love because I watched every trailer. Every feature it on the um, internet, and I was worried that it was going to ruin all like the big set pieces. But they kept the fact that uh, Gypsy Danger had that blaster, that uh, plasma cannon on. Um, when he pulled that out, I'm like, "This is awesome! <laughs> I love this." So yeah, so um, I mean, the plot's pretty standard. Um, there's really not really much to talk about it. You know, giant monsters show up, and uh, we all get together and we build a uh, giant robots to fight them, and it's going well. And then uh. It's not going so well. And that, that, I mean, that's the basic, uh, plot of the film. And I'm not trying to undersell it. Because, I mean, really, it's, it, it's all about the action and the set pieces. It's, I mean, it's just like a classic, um, you know, Daikaiju, Kaiju Ega film. And, and of not, its time. Not, to, not to eat up your time, and I'll, I'll let you keep talking. But you made a really good point when you said that this was very much in the style of a Showa film. One of the aspects that I thought really put this over as a Showa-style film, is that for a film with this big of a scope, we have a fairly limited cast. Really, it's only about four main characters, and then a few secondary characters, not unlike a Showa film, which generally would have a smaller cast than a Hesai or Millennium film, just because of the budgetary reasons. Yeah, they kept it, uh, they, they kept it ni- nice and tight, you know, and, uh, you know, we follow our main stories. Um, you have, the obviously, the story of, uh, uh, Charlie Hunnam's character, Raleigh Beckett, looking for redemption after the death of his brother. You have, uh, uh and that, that basically it was all about, uh, redemption and proving yourself. You had, uh, Mako Mori trying to get, uh, revenge against the, uh, kaiju for her family. You have, uh, um, Stacker Pentecost, uh, which is a great to... name. An absolutely great name. Stacker Pentecost. Yes, yes, great name. Stacker Pentecost, uh, um, yeah, I love them, uh, Do- Dr. Gottlieb. All I, all I kept thinking when I heard uh, of Dr. Gottlieb, I was thinking of those old Gottlieb pinball machines from back in the 70s. Yes, I was too. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big pin fan. That's all I could think of was a, a Gottlieb yeah. pinball machine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, um, uh, that was great. Um, I mean, the, the designs of, and what I liked was, uh, the, the kaiju, and the uh, robots, I mean, design-wise, they really fit really well, like, uh, together. And, like, they didn't feel like, you know, like they were designed separate, but they felt like they all fit in this one cohesive universe. They didn't feel like they were just pushed together. I mean, I really liked all the designs. Uh, 
I, personally, one of my favorites was, uh, I, I, uh, I love, uh, Crimson Typhoon's design with that, uh, that cycloptic eye. Mm-hmm. That he had that, uh, giant cycloptic eye designed for the head. It reminded me very much of, uh, uh, I believe it's, uh, the guy that did, uh, Ghost in the Shell and, uh, Pat Labor, um, Shiro Matsuman, I think his name was. He's a very famous mech, uh, designer. And, and the mechs themselves, they reminded me design-wise, uh, more or less, I would say, of like a late 80s, early 90s mech design. But they had the soul of a 70s super robot. Yeah. They felt very much like that. That, that, that was the takeaway I got from the robots themselves. Uh, like, like I said, the set pieces were awesome. Uh, another thing I liked was, uh, the music, the, the score, like, um, especially for the kaiju. The, if, especially the part where, um, Charlie Day's character, uh, Dr., I, I can't remember his name offhand, but when, uh, he goes into hiding in that shelter in Hong Kong, and, uh, the kaiju Otashi's comes in, and it smashes open the thing, and, uh, the, the, uh, tentacles come down, and it's reaching to eat them. And I was listening to the music tunes when that was happening, and I got a very Ifakube sound to mm-hmm. it. It very much sounded like a classic theme from uh, that era, and that that I really, really liked. Yeah. For the, uh, the yeah, uh, kaiju. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, you, uh, you really hit on a lot of the points. One thing that I really enjoyed about this film that I wasn't so sure about going in was that for a film that is, in a lot of senses, very broad, really gives us a really good impression of the characters. You know, um, Raleigh, Stacker, Mako, we really get to know these people, even though they're, they're, in a sense, very broad characters. And I think this is something that Del Toro does very well in his films. I, I compare this film in a lot of ways to the original Hellboy. Um, and like Hellboy, this one has, like I said, a small cast. Yeah, the box office was probably a little underwhelming. Uh, Hellboy was based on, at the time, an obscure property. This is an original property. But Del Toro gets out of these characters and this really outlandish, fantastic setting some real emotion. You know, the scene where, um, where uh, after Stacker has dressed down Raleigh and Raleigh grabs him by the arm. And you can, I mean, Idris Elba is a really good actor. And he, you know, that, that helps this. But you can, you can read every emotion on Stacker's face when Raleigh grabs him by the arm. And then he has the great line of, one, never touch me again. Two, never touch never me touch again. Never again. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think you're also right. The one, you know, the interesting thing about the, the Jaegers and the, and the Kaiju. First off, I love the first scene of the film where we get a, uh, just a, a screen of text that tells us what a Jaeger is and tells us what a Kaiju is. Yes. It's like, these are the rules of the game, and now we're not going to explain it anymore. That's it. That's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't waste time with a lot of, like, excessive storytelling. I mean, they pretty much right in the beginning, they explain exactly what happened, where they came from, what's going on, and what we're doing to fight it, and, yeah. and everything. And, uh, and I like that. Yeah. And, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, the, but you're right. The Jaegers have, even though they're, they're very, un- each one is unique. You know, Gypsy, but you look at Gypsy Danger versus Crimson Typhoon versus, um, uh, Cherno Alpha versus, um, uh, uh, Crimson Typhoon. No, the, the, uh, Striker Eureka. Striker Eureka. I always remember the Striker and forget the Eureka. Mm-hmm. All four of them look like, yes, they all came from the same school of design, but they're all mm-hmm. clearly unique. And the Kaiju as well. They all look like they were designed and created by the same, the same sort of, uh, parameters, even though each one is, clearly unique, 
the the familial resemblance is there. Yeah, which uh, is explained later on in the film why why that is. Right. You know, yeah. um, because they all came from uh, I guess the same genetic uh, makeup and from the, yeah. the labs, which I really liked, and and you can see that in the design too. I really like the the concept that these uh, these alien beings were creating these. Uh, pretty much to exterminate humans. It reminded me of the plot of, I'm trying to remember which, it was one of the Mechagodzilla films with the uh, the cockroach people. I think it was the same thing where they were coming to invade right. the planet and they were using... Uh, That's Godzilla vs. Gigan. Which one was it? That's Godzilla vs. Gigan. Oh, yeah, it was Gigan. Gigan, Gigan, yeah, that's Gigan and King Ghidorah. one yep. of the classics that I grew up watching. Yeah. Yeah, but, so I... I that's the first thing I thought of when they oh, yeah. mentioned I mean, the plot. But, you know, just, just from top to bottom, the... Like you said, the, the action, the set pieces are amazing. Right from mm-hmm. the start, we're thrown right into this world. And every, and again, another thing Del Toro really excels at, this world is utterly believable, despite being mm-hmm. completely fantastical. And yeah, we, I like the fact it. that it was in that um, uh, uh, Ron Perlman's character, <laughs> the uh, black market dealer, I can't remember yeah, his name offhand. It was something real wacky and crazy. Yeah. But I, I like the fact that... Um, you know, he's a, he's a black market um, um, kaiju, basically, poacher in Hong Kong. I mean, cause that's the big thing in China. Um, I mean, they love, uh, you know, um, p- uh, poaching animal stuff, like, you know, getting, like, uh, tiger's, um, like, parts and, and organs for, like, um, all sorts of, like, homebrew remedies for, like, fertility and, and, and just, I mean, that's just a big, big business in there. It's the black market. So I, that was this little thing I like with the kaiju. Oh, but, you know, but so the... The, the set pieces are amazing. The fights were mm-hmm. just fantastic. The characters, I said, really shine through, even though this was not a film that was going to win any Oscars for acting. I mean, I thought that uh, Rico Kukichi as Mako Mori was just just fantastic. And, and and this was a role that, you know, I, I think think about the female role in this type of tentpole science fiction action summer mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. That, it's either going to be, oh, she can't pilot a Jaeger because she's a girl and she has to overcome mm-hmm. that, or she's going to be frigid ice queen who's per, who's completely perfect until you know she meets the hero and then they have to kiss. You know, uh, Mako and and Raleigh don't even kiss in this film, but when we see them embrace at the end, there's there's more emotional meaning behind that because their connection is not just a simple Hollywood romance. Their connection is something meaningful, and and it it and it's something that's organic and grown from these characters' interactions. Much in the same way, again. When we see Stacker interacting with Mako, there's a, such a deep connection there that it just comes through the performance of uh, Idris Elba and Rinko Kukinich. And it's, it really just, again, it, it was something that a, somebody other than Del Toro might not have brought to this film. And so, and again, and so you can enjoy this film on, on just about any level. You can just sit back. Now, my experience, I went, I went visited with uh, one of my friends who lives up in Rock Hill, which is right by the North Carolina border. And we met up with some more of our friends and then a bunch of his local friends, uh, which is funny because in my group, um, my buddy is one of the younger guys in the group, but with his group of locals that he plays with, he's the old man. So that's just, it's foot perspective is funny like that, you know. <laughs> so we went, we had about probably 16 people in the theater. You know, we were taking up like one and a half rows in the theater and we just went to a 2D showing. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. I I can't do modern 3D. I have bifocal glasses because uh-huh. I'm, because I'm old, and the uh, the image will break around the bifocal. It's really strange, but it, it completely destroys the illusion. So I always go 2D. But even in 2D, this was just amazing to watch. I mean, you watch a yeah, lot I of mean, these. I mean, the 3D. I, um, 
like I said, it's my first 3D movie, and uh, when, I, when I first went in, it was giving me a headache, you know, until I guess my eyes adjusted, and then, like, uh, it started going. But uh, I, I did enjoy this, this 3D. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I mean, again, like I said, I haven't seen any other 3D movies, so I can't really give you frame of reference for 3D, but uh, I enjoyed it. So the only thing I find kind of humorous, whenever they showed uh, any of the news clips or whatnot, the, uh, the, like, the little scroll on the bottom would be in 3D, and I'm like, huh. That's kind of weird. Then again, I'm thinking, you know, this is the future. Maybe we do have the, you know, the news in 3D. Yep. You know, I can see, I can tell politicians' lies coming at me in 3D. It's yeah. amazing. Coming right at you. Uh, yeah. I, I will say that on various things I've read online, that a lot of folks are saying that the 3D is worth the money on this one. Um, that it was definitely shot with the 3D in mind and not a post-conversion type of deal. Yeah, I mean, there was some, like, really good, you know, I mean, I, I, I did enjoy it. I mean, I can't really speak too much, like I said, about it, but I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, one of the questions I have for you, um, being a parent, um, how young do you think uh, uh, kids should be to see this, or how old do you think they should be to see this film? Like, because, uh, I, I, again, I have no, like, frame of reference, you know? I'm see, the kind of guy that would probably pop in, like, a copy of, uh, I don't know, like, Sophie's Choice to show the little ones, but... Uh, <laughs> well, uh, see, what, the, the, it's, it's a hard question, because 95% of this film I think by like age seven or eight, if they're into monsters, you know, if you've got boys or girls that are into monsters or robots, they're just going to eat it up. You know, mm-hmm. they might be, excuse me, a little bored during the talkie bits, but yeah. never too much talkie bits that doesn't have robots or monsters in it. The 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 other five percent is the flashback with Mako, and mm-hmm. I remember sitting in the theater on Saturday and thinking, "Wow, this is really really intense." Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to say, because when I was six, I saw aliens in the theater. And <laughs> aliens, yeah, yeah, I saw aliens yeah. when I was six, and then I saw Predator and RoboCop on a double feature right around my seventh birthday. <laughs> that's, that's what turned me into what I am today. Yeah. But I remember seeing aliens in the theater, and there are a lot of scenes of Newt being menaced in aliens, and I don't remember being particularly, you know, scared of that or upset by that. But I think I think if you have uh, a, a, a son or daughter that's a little more sensitive, or you know maybe still a little bit more clingy, it again it depends entirely on the kid. But right. you know, that because that scene, I mean that scene really was to me very scary, and I could see how as a as a as a little kid that scene would just scare the, the pants off you. Well, you know what film traumatized me the most as a child. I don't know if I ever talked about this, but uh, uh, it was Bambi. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm not even joking. I was dead serious. And uh, my uh, my aunt took me at the time. She's like, ah, I'm going to go have a cigarette outside. And, of course, what scene does uh, she go and uh, have a cigarette outside? Right in the beginning when Bambi's mother gets shot. So I'm oh. sitting there. I freaked out. I ran out of the theater. And, honestly, I think for like two, three years after that, I refused to go see another movie in the theater. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. So, but, yeah, uh yeah, I, I think probably the only real scariest stuff uh, might be is, um, like you said, the, the, yeah, that Mako flashback, which was great. Like, when, when she was standing there, I, I literally had tears in my eyes. That, yeah. was, that, I mean, it's, that it's, affected me. I was surprised that it did that, but, you know. Um, well, you know what? Um, have you ever seen one of Del Toro's very early films called The Devil's Backbone? I heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, The Devil's Backbone deals with a, uh, a boys' school during the early days of World War II in Spain. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a ghost story. And it got some real intense bits like that with, they're a little bit older, the kids, but still, it's still with kids. 
And so I think Del Toro really knows how to press buttons that uh, make a scene very intense when dealing with, with a younger uh, cast member like that. So I'd say if, if you've got kids that are not, you know, they're, they're not easily rattled, um, that like robots and monsters, they'd probably love this. Just pay attention for that bit and maybe kind of keep them distracted during that. Maybe that's when you get them to jujubes, you know. Yeah, yeah. And take so. them out for that. Because, I mean, honestly, I'm thinking to myself, I'm eight and I see this movie with, you know, my, my, my brain already addled with uh, Voltron and Godzilla movies and everything else, that I'd be like a pig in slop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is definitely speaking to, I think, the children of all of us. Um, so, let me, uh, ask, one of, let me uh, one of the, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Yeah, one of the things is, um, uh, I'm on the website now, I'm looking at the different names. Like the, uh, you know, the opening name of the, uh, monster that destroys, uh, San Francisco is Trespasser. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had, uh, the, the Sydney, I guess, is the one that destroys Sydney. I don't like that name, Sydney. Yeah. I think that was the one that smashes through the big wall. Yes. So I was thinking about they should call it Gipper because <laughs> it goes all Ronald Reagan on that giant wall. <laughs> so that was kind of my, uh, <laughs> crazy brain. Tear this wall down. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, my only real issues with the film that I had, and they're minor, you know, it's nothing major. Uh, uh, I, I feel that uh, the other two robots, uh, Cherno Alpha and uh, Crimson Typhoon, I, I, I kind of felt like I, I wanted more, mm-hmm. which I guess is a good thing. You know, I, I felt that they were they had great scenes, but I, I wanted more. I was hoping they'd fight at least another monster before uh, they, they succumb to the, uh, the fights and whatnot, but... Yeah, um, but, and but you I, know, and it's and it's entirely possible that uh, you know we might see more of them in perhaps an extended extended version or uh, perhaps um, a se- um, maybe in a sequel with some flashbacks or you know one thing that we got with the Hellboy films is we've gotten the animated uh, side stories as well and that might be a you know an avenue I mean that'd be a great avenue I think an animated uh, you know, OVA type situation for Pacific Rim to explore more. Oh yeah, I mean, especially how, how Marvel's doing it. When um, if they get one of the uh, like a uh, uh, production IG or any like the big uh, anime uh, um, uh, companies that do a lot of the mecha stuff, I'd love yeah. to see them uh, take a swing at that. So that that's actually a good idea. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, all I could think of with, with that was you know, the, there's the. Uh, Actually, ironically, despite this being released by, by Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers, Marvel actually put out a hardcover, and good luck finding Marvel's name anywhere on this hardcover, a prequel comic mm-hmm. called Pacific Rim Tales from Year Zero, which I picked up. And that is, I mean, if you like, I mean, if you like this film, seek out this hardcover. It's, it's fantastic. It gives a lot of background on, on Raleigh and on Stacker, and gives some more of the background with Stacker and Mako. And it really, it shows, Kind of the it, it shows the attack on San Francisco, for instance, in in greater detail, not just what we got in the film, which was you know uh, kind of a recap. So that's definitely worth tracking down. I know they have it on in stock trades, um, instocktrades.com. They have it, I think, for I think like forty five percent off or something like that. So this was, but I mean, this I, I I've been lucky this this year. I've gotten to go to the theater four times, which is very uh, unusual for me. Uh, mm-hmm. And all four of the movies have been really good. I mean, and this is just this is transcendent as a Daikaiju fan to go into the theater with a theater full of Daikaiju fans to watch something that is, you know, uh, equal parts just fist pumping awesomeness, 
and then at the same time, really just downright beautiful filmmaking about giant robots and monsters. It, this is an experience I will not forget for a long time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is obviously this is my uh, my <laughs> my favorite film of the year so far, and probably will be. I mean, I'm looking forward to that Elysium as well. But uh, I think this is going to be the movie that I mean that I like. I mean, let's face it. Uh, you ain't seen Iron Man swinging a giant tanker at a at like Fin Fang Foom. So no, no, that that's probably <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> so all right, yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to? Say in closing about Pacific Rim, any advice you want to give to our uh, to our listeners? Yeah, um, you know, um, obviously go out see this movie. I mean, it's really good. Um, don't listen to like all. The, I know it's getting kind of negative press because uh, other movies, you know, are doing better than it. But uh, I mean, every pretty much everybody um, whose opinion in this like genre film that I trust, uh, guys like August Vergone, who's like a big, he had a real nice piece on it. I, I saw on Twitter. And uh, uh, Thomas DJ put out a damn your ears, damn your eyes on it, and had really nice things to say about it. I mean, yeah, don't listen to all that. Go see this film. Let not your heart be troubled. Um, go, go see it. And uh, I guess that's really all I have left yeah. to say. I mean, I really enjoyed it. Um, if they don't make a sequel to it, I, I mean, I'd like to see a sequel. But, like, I'm satisfied with, with like, what I got. Yeah. You know, and I can't really ask for more than what I got. I mean, if they make more... Great, and also uh, elbow rocket. Enough said. <laughs> oh, I knew I I, uh, I knew you'd love that Mazinger Z style rocket punch right in there. Oh yeah, I mean you can't have uh, a, a robot. I mean there's a there are a lot of nods to that too. I like the uh, the uh, old timey um, um, Japanese robot that the guy finds on the beach before uh, Gypsy Danger comes aboard. Yeah. That was nice. Mm-hmm. That like real quick montage of uh, <laughs> them selling. Which I found kind of weird that you have, you know, you have this horrible devastation going on in these cities, yet some toy company is going to make toys based off these monsters, yeah, you know? I knew it was going to happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, that, that, I really enjoyed that as well. The, I said after the, sh- after that we saw it, it's like, I, I love the rocket punch. Where was the giant missile firing bow and arrow for riding? That's, you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you gotta you gotta have something left. <laughs> gotta have for the something sequel. for the sequel. And yeah. and you know, Del Toro has said he wants to do a sequel again, not to keep bringing this up, but again to compare it to Hellboy. With Hellboy, mm-hmm. it took a number of years for Hellboy Two to get made because it was something of a labor of love for Del Toro, and it was mostly convincing the studio that hey, you know, yeah, the first film didn't do amazing business, but the first film got a great response and has a huge following. And if we can get a little more money to do the second one, we can make more money. And Hellboy 2 ended up making a good deal more money than the original. I think that's a similar situation here. Um, this movie has gotten really good reviews. It's got an A-, minus, I think, on cinema score, which is, I think, one of the highest we've gotten from any movie this summer. Word of mouth is fantastic. And, yeah, mm-hmm. gross is not as good as it should be because it's going against, you know, Despicable Me 2, which is, um, I read on Box Office Mojo this morning, is projected to be the third highest grossing movie of the year. And, mm-hmm. you know, Grown Ups 2, which is definitely counter-programming. But don't listen, you know, don't listen to Box Office. If you're listening to Earth Destruction Directive, go see this movie. And if you've already seen it, go see it again. Because you will not, you know, I'm already want to see it again. I watched, I walked out of the theater on Saturday, I wanted to go to another show. I'm going to the drive-in. I've already made up my mind. I have to see this in the drive-in. This is a drive-in movie. Yeah, and then stop at Toys R Us and get some of the NECA toys to play with. Yeah, I'll, I'll get them before I go so I can play with them in the car. Yep. And just have people look at me. 
Good luck with that, though. I've, I mean, I've seen reports of them selling out because you can get them at Toys R Us if you don't want to buy them online. But you got to find a Toys R Us that still has them. Mm-hmm. As if the first wave is uh, Gypsy Danger, Crimson Typhoon, and Knifehead, and, and good luck finding those. It's like, yeesh. But uh, okay, Bill, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. Said uh, just wanted to give some quick words to all the faithful listeners out there about about Pacific Rim, and uh, thank you very much. We're going to have you on again real soon. We're going to talk about a little bit more Ultraman. Uh, yeah, thanks again. Sayonara, everybody. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Go out and watch Pacific Rim. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast. Produced and created by me, Luke Jackanetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, we will read them on the show. If you'd like to visit our forum, you can head over to www.forumforgeeks.com and come on down to the Two True Freaks section. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Anything you buy during your next Amazon session after clicking that link will help keep the lights on here at Two True Freaks. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle Eljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.